And today, I'm ready to announce that this Saturday at 12.01 a.m., private parks and campgrounds, marinas and boat clubs, golf courses and businesses that board animals will be allowed to open. March 14th, 2020 was a big day for campers, boaters and golfers as Ontario Premier Doug Ford announced phase one of the province's plan to reopen businesses. But as much as we enjoy camping and boating, golf is our focus. There has been uh, any kind of lifting of restrictions by the province has been ready to move quickly with a plan. Golf courses being another example. They announced it today. Our golf courses will be open on Saturday. Canada is home to nearly 2,500 golf courses and 2.5 million golfers. For a seasonal sport, Canadians take full advantage of the warm months in hopes to shoot under 100. Enjoy a few drinks on the course or make a couple of bucks off their buddies. I'm not an avid golfer, but I feel as though golf was made with social distancing practices in mind. The course is 18 holes. The course can play up to 72 golfers. The course is spread over 150 acres of land. In summary, each golfer gets roughly two acres of space to themselves. The weather is just right as golf courses mark their first day of operation since COVID-19 closed down many businesses. But these ease restrictions don't mean that everything is back to normal. Finally, out, no cabin fever. Been waiting a long time for this. I'm not an avid golfer as well. But what happens when the demand for golf is so high? After two and a half months of isolation. A sold-out weekend at the Don Valley Golf Course, but it's unlike any previous season for enthusiasts. What types of safety protocols do golf courses put in place during a pandemic? Are courses able to create a touchless golf experience? Do golf clubs see this as an opportunity to showcase their game? And how do they manage the demand? Lawrence Applebaum is the Chief Executive Officer of Golf Canada, and John Young is the General Manager at Copper Creek Golf Club. They tell us what it's like to be the only game in town on the Sports on Pause podcast. Well, Donovan, as we both said at the top, you're not going to mistake us for Phil Mickelson or Rory McIlroy anytime soon. The last time I golfed, honestly, may have been in the 90s. It's been that long ago. And I could not tell you what my score was, although I am certain it had a one in front of it. But Golf is such a big recreational sport, both in Canada and in the United States, and there are undoubtedly golfers who have been waiting a long time to be able to get back to their course or club, and no doubt that the COVID-19 restrictions and social distancing that will be in place at these clubs will be examined, should be examined, and are a pretty interesting story. I'm very surprised that the most recent golfing on this podcast has been done by me as I have golfed since the 90s. I've golfed twice. They're, they're hands down the two most frustrating experiences of my life. I couldn't tell you my score because I just didn't finish playing. I At some point, I just stopped and said, I'm going to drive and I'm going to walk and pick my ball up because that is how I'm feeling about this sport where I'm not actually playing a sport. I'm just killing worms all over this beautiful golf course. 
Tiger Woods golf, the video game, is probably the last time I finished a round of golf, and I don't even like video games. Having said all of that, I have many friends who don't like golf. They love golf. It is their version of yoga, if you will, the way that they kind of cope mentally, and I don't want to say that belittling. I think a lot of people really missed it, but I am going to be honest. I was a little skeptical. I felt a little... I felt a way about golf being the one of the first things that came back when we were supposed to only be doing things that are essential. And so I came into both of these interviews with a skeptical view. And so I think it's actually instructive. And I, I have been turned on, let's take a street level view on what's happening at courses and how the people who work at courses are also part of our economy and have been hurt. And then let's look at the 5,000 foot view and see how the entire sport of golf might be able to help us get through this pandemic. For that bigger picture, let's first talk to Lawrence Applebaum, the Chief Executive Officer of Golf Canada. Well, as we examine um, on this podcast, the challenges and contingencies of the many different sports, we now get to golf. Our guest is Lawrence Applebaum, the Chief Executive Officer of Golf Canada. His job now is quite unique. And Lawrence, as we welcome you to the podcast, let's start here. Canada has nearly 2,500 courses across its country. In your opinion, how many are COVID-19 prepared and ready? And do these sort of preparations have to differ depending on what province the golf course is in? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. And um, it's an interesting little-known fact. Uh, you know, golf is actually the most played sport in our country. We're very lucky that uh, so many of us in our short season love it so much. And uh, at the time of, of us getting together, um, nine out of the ten provinces are now playing, which is really exciting. Kudos to the operators and the owners out there because they have been going through a rigorous protocol in order to be ready. And some have not had much time and some have had a little bit more time as uh, the medical and health professionals have given us guidance. But um, in seeing it from my home province here in Ontario, um, it was done at an incredibly, uh, incredibly high level. And I guess that, that comes down to being golfers. You know, it's a protocol-based sport. It's a rules-based sport. So I'm really pleased to see um, uh, the preparations that were in place. You mentioned having to get ready. Times will differ based on where you are in the country and what the weather is like and when that off-season maintenance would have to take place. But everybody started this season late. Can you give us an appraisal of owners, operators, golf pros, how much money would have been lost in the industry due to COVID-19? Well, it's an interesting question uh, because, uh, as you mentioned, different parts of the country are, di are open at different times of the spring. Uh, you know, British Columbia and some parts of the southern component, uh, you know, never close or are closed for a very short period of time. But in a lot of the parts of the country, uh, the hub, I'd say, in some of the big hub cities, you know, April 15th is classically a, a, a Toronto-based day and, and probably closer to May one is often where you get in, in some places like um, in Alberta, Southern Alberta at least, and for sure in Montreal area, it starts to go. So it certainly has been painful for many to be opening late from a financial perspective. But 
I think in the variety of, of people in the industry that I've spoken to is an incredible understanding of uh, the health and safety of everybody being um, first. And now that we've got um, some sense of, um, I would say, protocols, practices in place, people have been really doing yeoman effort to be prepared. And golf really lends itself as a perfect sport for recovery. You know, it's got great protocols, as I mentioned. It's got, you know, you're sometimes on 150 to 200 acres and you can just naturally do a lot of things that bode well for um, uh, having safe practices in place. I wonder uh, if you can give us, um, as specific as you can, what a touchless experience is for golf. And I've sort of seen that, maybe I've seen that from you, but I've sort of seen that phrase around the the notion that um, you can make golf at least as um, as safe as one can make it, given that there are other people at a course or at a club. Well, I think what it's we've really worked with uh, the whole industry, all the provinces, because in Canada, as you've seen, this issue has really been provincially driven in terms of when businesses have opened and when sports have been opening. And what we've been really focused on is making sure a touchless environment, which means you are doing everything in terms of booking online or by phone. Uh, when you are showing up at the golf course, you're showing up, you know, very short amount of time, let's say 30 minutes before tee times, really uh, controlled parking environments with spaces that are in between uh, cars, a very staggered and sort of, I would say, zoned off space where you're, you know, you're on the practice putting green for a certain amount of time, and then you're going to the tee and everything has been handled by management. So you've got greeters, you've got starters, you've got personnel from the golf course really doing things well so that no one's coming within, you know, we're sort of saying two club lengths which is that physical distancing that everyone's using. And depending on your footprint, golf courses are spreading out tee times. And then once you're off, generally it's the tees and the green where people are starting to to gather a little closer. There's no rakes. uh, There's no ball washers. There's no touch points. So really a lot of people have remarked back um, as they've started their play in their provinces that it's been really well run. It's been really efficient. And it's also been so welcomed by people you know we've been in this for going on uh, uh, 9 10 11 weeks in some respects and so getting canadians back to recreational normalcy getting that feeling of being able to have environments where they can engage with with other folks is really a wonderful moment so big nod to sort of the all the players across the golf industry who've worked very well together to get us here Now, every business and industry has an opportunity now to pivot, to relaunch, to figure out what the new normal is going to be. What are the opportunities for the golf industry once it comes out of COVID? You know, I think that's really kind of, you've encapsulated where our mindset has been. And when you think about some of the things that people haven't been able to do um, in gyms, in rinks, um, in places where they've normally congregated, golf as we head into May and June, it's a moment for our sport to bring people um, who've played before, bring back and to bring people into the fray. 
and to get them trying it, it again. And even uh, it's funny, you know, my kids aren't aren't yet. You know, my, my daughter's not yet a golfer. My son plays a little bit. And she for the first time said, you know, maybe this is the year I try it. And so I've heard that over and over where people can come back to the sport. And, and again, it's one of those things that it's a sport that is, you know, can be played from six to 96 and it can be played by every level and you can make it almost touchless as we've talked about. But I think this is a moment and we've had great support from our government in helping us to look at protocols and look at what we're doing to provide that playbook for how to do this in a way that is going to be aligned with, um, you know, social uh, norms right now and, and being able to be really uh, on top of it. So if there's any silver linings, it's the fact that maybe golf can come out of this a little faster and can really help a lot more people. And in particular, a lot of our frontline workers, a lot of emergency workers, the people that we, we, we say real big appreciation to is we want to see if we can use our sport to welcome them back in particular. Can you tell us at this point regarding the prospect of an RBC Canadian Open returning in 2021? Well, the challenge for us is a crushing decision to, we had such momentum with this, the RBC Canadian Open and the momentum we had coming out of 2018 with a champion like like Rory McIlroy. And we were headed to St. George's Golf Club and Islington Golf Club as the practice facility for 19 and the tough decision was made to cancel it for 2020. We feel optimistic. We feel um, really uh, positive about coming back in 2021. We're working with both those clubs that I mentioned, along with RBC and the PGA Tour, to do it in a great way and in the right way. Uh, The tour, as you both know, um, is slated for uh, middle of next month to start at the Charles Schwab Challenge in Texas. They have what I would call probably the most uh, rigorous and thorough safety protocols starting as early as they are. We've been in real close contact with the folks at the tour and seeing what they're doing. It's a significant effort, uh, one that I'd say has taken the whole effort of a, a very engaged PGA Tour to do this in the right way. This past weekend, seeing um, the first iteration of pro golf, live pro golf on TV with um, uh, Rory McIlroy and DJ against Fowler and, and Matthew Wolf is I'm really eager to see how this plays out. One of the things we'd always said about our event, the RBC Canadian Open, is it's, you know, it's more than five miles of, of front row seats and people are naturally spaced out um, on a big footprint of land. That being said, we've also prided ourselves on having a ton of people uh, join. And so we're going to have to relook at that. We're going to have to reassess that moment in time next year in advance of the tournament is, is what we can do to make it a safe environment for fans, what we can do to make a safe environment for the players, the caddies, but even more so the volunteers. You know, we have about 2,000 volunteers who work with us and uh, we want to make a safe environment for all those folks. At the bedrock of this sport is sponsorship, really, for the individual players, for the clubs. Given our uncertain economic times, what are the challenges in securing sponsorships moving forward? We have a pretty uh, broad group of uh, partners in so many industries that we work within, and many are endemic to golf and are tied to the sport 
and many are partners with us in the sport of golf to further their their business objectives. And and I, I can speak to a couple of the endemic partners, such as Akushnet, which is the brands as you know, as you know, Titleist and Footjoy, who've really worked with us at every level to figure out how we're getting through this crisis. There, this is the industry that I'm probably most familiar with, as it's my history in how they're working with their customers and their retailers, their pro shops. And they've really been, I would say, just in lockstep with us about helping what they can do to help golf come back. But like the endemic partners is the partners who've used golf as a tool or as a thread within their businesses. I'll talk about our two title sponsors, RBC and, and CP Canadian Pacific. Both of them have um, a really significant charitable platform. They have really significant um, staff base, employee base across the country. They've really helped lead us in how they're approaching their customers, how they're approaching their business. And I would say both Dave Mackay um, from RBC, the CEO, and, and Keith Creel have leaned in with, with Golf Canada and, and Golf to help show us how we'll come back in the recovery space. And it kind of is a really special moment with those two title sponsors in saying how we get back with our event, how we get back with our association, how we get back with our business. We're very fortunate. We're one of the the largest national sport federations, but we also know that we are tied to the return of grassroots sports. Uh, We're turned to the return of business and tied to the return of our economy. So that's been a really another great sort of learning through this COVID-19 is is how to be part of a movement, how to be part of a recovery, and how to, in some cases, be part of the leadership of that. So I'm sure you're aware not everyone was as excited to see golf come back in phase one around the country. Golf was one of the last things that went away and among the first to come back. And although as you mentioned, it does serve many people. Most of those people are wealthy and or white, similar to the politicians who decided that golf would be allowed to come back this early. Many people are delaying their normal lives and are handicapped by it, yet a bunch of people are allowed to work on their handicaps. Do you understand where some of the frustrations come from? And do you find any of those concerns valid? Well, first of all, I think um, all the sentiments that we're very aware of the engagement of the general population of uh, medical health and even economic hardship. uh, You know, I think we're we're very much um, listening and try to be as in tune as we possibly can with that. I think it's really very fair to say that golf has uh, that stigma of, of the things you speak of in the past. And I think that for us, when you look to where we are and where we're going, we're emboldened by the fact that golf has been doing a lot of very good things. It's opening itself up. It's available to more people. It's more affordable. It's as being as diverse and inclusive as, as any sport I've been a part of. And I've been in parts of the sports industry for almost, almost 30 years myself. And to see what golf can do and to know the, the truths about golf in Canada alone, it's, you know, it's over 300,000 people that are employed in this space. It creates about 15 billion in GDP for the economy. And the probably most sort of thing that people don't know about is over a half a billion dollars 
in charitable giving is created through golf. So, so many people uh, use golf as their medium for uh, charity golf tournaments, for raising money. And like us as well, being able to use this as a tool for recovery is really good. So I would say that the present and especially the future of golf is on a completely tra- different trajectory and one that, that really takes its responsibility in Canada very seriously. Given the economic times that we're in, is there a concerted effort to make golf affordable, not just maybe to attract unique clients, but to keep the ones you already have that may not have as much disposable income as normal? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point about around the opportunity we have with the sport is that I've seen it firsthand, you know, uh, gyms are, are being closed and, and rinks don't have ice and all those kids who either uh, doing summer camps or even some regular camps that are sort of can't have been canceled is, is an opportunity for us to bring people in an affordable way. And the golf industry really recognizes this. It's also an opportunity for us to overall just have a different conversation than maybe we've had in the past. And operators across the country have been thinking about it and working on it. I also think that what the government has been able to provide from support of all uh, national sport federations and uh, the economic subsidies that have been put in place to try and get us back faster has been really helpful. And, uh, you know, I'll add to it that the golf industry has been in very developed discussions about how we can help this relief fund, how we can help people come to our sport, and especially those that are, are, have really been on the front lines of uh, COVID-19. You mentioned your 30 years of experience in the sports industry, and I actually want to tap into that now, if I can. Your five years of experience as executive vice president of the WTA, given the realities of COVID-19, some in the tennis community believe this is an ideal time for the ATP and WTA to join forces. Maybe something not too dissimilar to the working partnership between the PGA and the LPGA. With your experience, do you see that being a potential opportunity of mutual benefit given our current climate? Well, the thread uh, between tennis and golf has always been a strong one. And um, I would say the leaderships of the four tours that you're talking about, the ATP, WTA, uh, PGA Tour and LPGA Tour uh, are really in incredible, incredible shape. There's our four Uh, phenomenal individuals. I'll speak to what I know or what I'm most involved with right now, which is in the golf side, is that um, Jay Monahan and Mike Wan, the two commissioners, they're very close. They have engaged on so many different levels with the industry. And I would say that golf puts its arms, especially in this uh, 2020 COVID-19 year, have really put their arms around the whole industry to try and drive it forward. There are some natural areas where we can work together, growth of the sport, uh, big moments like this year would have been with uh, Tokyo 2020 and the Olympic Games coming back. But I do think that there's uh, so many ways that those two commissioners engage and and even just most recently is the discussions about opportunities with uh, broadcast. Um, they were very close on. And, and in Canada, we have a, a, a PGA Tour event, the RBC Canadian Open and the LPGA Tour event, the CP Women's Open. So we get a chance to speak with both these groups uh, very closely, and we've been really, really well supported. The interesting thing is on the tennis side is that um, 
these events that are so tethered to tennis, the majors being uh, male, female sports, two tour events easily. And then all the biggest sports, the premier mandatories and the, and the masters 1000 events are almost all are, are WTA ATP events. So there's some real natural things that allow those two tours to come together. And I think that um, the comments that I saw and, and the conversations, uh, brief conversations I've had with some folks, seems like there's a real momentum there. And that's wonderful for us. In Canada, we've got some great moments with PJ Tours. We have eight young guys and on the PJ Tour and Brooke Henderson and Elena Sharp right now in the LPJ Tour. So we've got great representation for Canadians on the on the big tours and seeing them together. I guess we'll have to wait till 2021 for their participation in, in Tokyo Olympics. But um, we've got the, the program's been in really great shape here in our country. Lawrence Applebaum, the CEO of Golf Canada. We appreciate your time and your insights today. Thank you so much and stay safe. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be on. So, Richard, my biggest takeaway from that is that the sport of golf is going to have to change. It's going to have to adapt because the fiscal realities that we are living in, there are so many less people who will feel confident in paying green fees even if they feel confident in all the measures that we've heard of in terms of being safe while playing golf. But also I think golf courses are going to have to maybe change and adapt their offerings so that they are still profitable in all the other ways they are other than just allowing you to hit them straight. Yeah, good, Donovan. Golf has some unique challenges because of its popularity, because of the cost of the sport, at least when you get away from some of these public greens, but the public greens themselves, the likelihood is they will go up as uh, golf tries to navigate in the post-pandemic world. But it, it will be an interesting indicator for a recreational sport as to can it come back, how fast does it come back, and what are the economic realities of that. For a bit of a micro look at this topic, my co-host Donovan Bennett and our producer Amal Delich headed to Copper Creek Golf Club, which is north of Toronto, to interview John Young, who is the general manager at Copper Creek. And he provided our podcast with some interesting insight into where golf stands at his club. It's a peaceful afternoon, 22 degrees Celsius. Not a cloud in the sky. I had just arrived at Copper Creek Golf Club in Kleinberg, a small, quaint community just north of Toronto. Copper Creek is part of a group of courses scattered around the greater Toronto area in Niagara. All their courses are public and in pristine condition. But this course in Kleinberg is the crown jewel of the bunch. Even Kyle Lowry plays here. As I drove up to the clubhouse, I noticed a pair of grounds crew staffers in a fairway bunker doing some maintenance, while another staffer was awaiting my arrival at the roundabout near the parking lot. As I waited for our producer, he's always late, I make my way down to the driving range by the clubhouse. It's quiet. Just one golfer working on his irons. I'm here to meet John Young, the GM who oversees Copper Creek and its group of courses. He takes us to the back of the clubhouse under a gazebo 
overlooking the hilly landscape of the course. It's IG Scenic. So with John Young, Chief Operations Officer for Copper Greek Golf Group. And John, to be honest, when I drove up the long driveway and I looked around, I said, it doesn't look to me to be any different than a normal Friday junior. Number Thursday, where people are starting the weekend, maybe a bit early, getting in some early rounds. But as soon as I talked to you, I realized it's a lot different. What is the golf course like today different from the way it would have been if we had this conversation on this date in 2019? I think the best way to describe it is the expectations have kind of changed because the expectations of golfers used to be, well, I need to this done, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to get this done, I want to see this. Now it's a little bit more the power has shifted to us. So because of the safety restrictions, we are telling people you need to do things like stay in your car till 20 minutes before your tee time. We're going to come and tell you the next stage of where you can go. Everything's kind of regimented as if, and I've used the example with some people, that you're basically putting a foursome on a conveyor belt spaced out so that you go to a next stage safely from pro shop driving range to the first tee. But what we've learned is once people get out there, it is like you said, it, it looks like golf again and it feels like golf again. So we've tried not to make, there are restrictions out there and they are subtle and it's all about giving people the information, but I don't want great big billboards that scare you away from the actual joy of the game. So let's walk through that conveyor okay. belt if we can. I've just parked, I've got the keys out of the ignition, I'm taking the clubs out of the trunk. How do I get from my car to the first hole? So we force you through um, with pylons to uh, the top of our circle, the way it's designed. Somebody there is going to stop you and just ask you what your tea time is. So if it's a 10 o'clock tea time and you show up at 9.30, we'll just say, gentlemen, can you please stay in your car for 10 minutes? We'll come get you. At that time, you can get your clubs ready. Bring your clubs to your cart. Everybody has a single cart. We are not allowed to touch that. We're just able to direct. So at every stage, there's somebody there. So they go from put their clubs on the cart. They drive their cart beside our pro shop, which is stage one. When somebody's there, they'll let them know that they can come into the pro shop, which is now separated by tailor-made mats, all six, seven feet apart. So we try and get the whole foursome in at the same time, give them a little bit more information. We process their payment, and then they go out uh, a separate door back towards a cart. Stage two, they drive their carts around to where the driving range is, where we have four stalls set up just for your foursome. So when driving range is clear, we let the people go down. The stalls are separated by 15 feet. It's quite a large driving range. They warm up until their tea time. Once the tea is clear, we call them up, and a starter gives them even more information. So it's... An elaborate process. Lots of forethought clearly went into that. 65 days worth. <laughs> we were speculating for a long time, sure. So how did the transition go from speculating, okay, when are we going to get back? What will the health restrictions be when we do get back? And what will we need to do 
And what was the difference between, okay, you found out we can turn the lights back on and we need to be ready? So other provinces have opened before us and we've seen restrictions come out. And I'll give our government a lot of credit because uh, some provinces said you had to do certain tea time intervals and a couple of other restrictions. Our government allowed us to really just concentrate on the fact that you need to keep social distancing the best way you can. So they didn't give us tea time intervals. They didn't say um, you had to put the pin in the cup a certain way. Some people were speculating that the cup was going to be turned upside down. To me, golf, the ball still has to go in the hole to make it feel like it is golf. So we've done a couple different things. But you're on, I'm sure you have been on enough Zoom calls to sink a ship. So all golf pros do for the last 60 days is get on these Zoom calls and they say, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Then it comes to me and they say, John, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do what they're going to tell us we can do. So we were speculating right up until the day I can't even stand that word anymore. Now that we're all waiting, like uh, the biggest announcement, it probably is in the last 20 years in the golf industry. The announcement on Thursday at 1.30 by the Premier may have been the most significant golf day in, like I said, 20 years. So we're all sitting there waiting. Um, I'm in my office. I have my cell phone, my office phone, the guys up in the shop. I have four guys ready, whatever it's going to be. We've got... Some of us have money on, it's going to be Saturday. Some of us have money, it's going to be on Tuesday. So we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Doug Ford's about to say the date, and he goes, and you'll be able to open, and my phone lights up. I don't even hear him say Saturday. The guys in the shop didn't even hear him say Saturday. So we are booking tea times. I've got every friend in the book texting me saying i need this 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 and this can i get it i don't ignore my cell phone so just taking tea times two hours later everything's calmed down because we sold out in 10 minutes for saturday we sold out in 10 minutes for the weekend um because the weather's forecast wasn't great but we still sold out in about half an hour for three days so by the time it died down our cfo texted me and said can I get something on Sunday morning? I said, well, I can put you out last group on Sunday afternoon. That's the closest I can get you. And I said, by the way, Saturday sold out in 10 minutes. And he said, well, you're not allowed to play. Golf courses aren't open on Saturday. I said, uh, yeah, they are, I'm sure. But then I started thinking, I didn't actually hear Doug Ford say the word Saturday. So I started guessing. I go up to the shop. They never heard him say Saturday. So we were... Obviously, it was Saturday, but none of us actually heard him say the word. So it was that kind of crazy demand. Like People were probably dialed the phone and just had one button left to go and online. So it just hit us really hard. But it was exciting. It was like we won the lottery. Right. Yeah. So lots of demand to start. But how does that factor into some of the losses you may have had when you were closed? Depending on, you know, what the weather would have been like, you know, some of the spring would have been used for maintenance, but if you had a good spring, you may have been able to open and get some rounds in relative to normal. What type of financial impact has COVID-19 had? So if we go back last year and just use that as a comparable, we didn't, the weather in April wasn't great. So we actually ended up opening. We usually try to open mid to late April. We didn't open until the beginning of May last year. Uh, this year, all of a sudden, beginning of April looks beautiful. Everybody's saying maybe Masters weekend, we're going to be able to do something. Then you hear the Masters move off and everything starts to come to fruition. And then the weather starts to get worse. But the biggest impact we have is because we are 
restricted to the number of people we can have together. A public golf course like this and the other three that we run are very, uh, corporate events are a big thing. Uh, so I would say the biggest loss right now would be uh, the opportunities for May corporate events moving into June and maybe even through to the end of the year. We're hopeful. We still have some people hopeful for September, but it's a different world. With regards to just the safety aspect of all this, uh, the demand is pent up because we're doing 15-minute tea time intervals. We would normally do 10. So we're putting uh, a large percentage of less people out there just so that we can concentrate on the safety. We'll ease that up a little bit, but not at the risk of any golfer. But the demand has helped this time of year. May wasn't great last year. So publicly, we're probably looking okay. It's once you start to get those days when you had the corporate events is the big impact. Golf courses are normally homes for banquets, Correct. proms at this time of year, and end of year socials. And then once you get into summer, we're talking about wedding season. How big a part of the, your business is that? It's massive. When we opened 20 years ago, it was all about golf. People started to really like this place. The food's amazing. So our banquet business and wedding business grew. Now it's the wedding business eclipses what we do at, for this golf course as far as the revenue we can drive. We had uh, over 50 weddings booked, plus other parties, smaller parties. We have a few different size rooms, so a lot of business. Uh, we're trying to shuffle as best we can, uh, stay in contact with the brides, but it's a huge hit to us. In peak season, when the weddings are on, we employ 175 people. Right now, we might have just our our full-time staff, which is maybe 20, and maybe another 15 variable staff, seasonal staff that are coming to help us. So impact on both sides. And the staff that you do have, how have you reallocated some of those resources to better service the needs that you have now? So our ownership were fantastic. They invested in us from the time that the announcement was made and restrictions were put on. They wanted to know that when people came back, when things opened, they'd be motivated to continue and do their best. So we've been lucky. Uh, Our golf guys have been on turf crews. Our kitchen people have been in turf crews. I cut fairways once a week. Uh, That's my background 20 years ago, and it's been a lot of fun. But We have some people working from home. We have 40,000 square feet, so we're able to do a lot of things safely. But initially it was simple maintenance, security, and we were allowed to maintain the golf course. So a lot of it was pushed towards maintaining the grass. Some people have never been outside, and there were some snowstorms, sideways snowstorms in April and May that uh, made you think of whether or not golf industry was what you wanted to do. But um, everybody did amazingly well doing whatever they could. Courses often throughout the summer will host tournaments. Is that something that you foresee being able to do in the near future? I certainly hope so. Um, I don't see it in the near future. I would say that next couple of months we will learn a lot more. So if we're looking towards the end of August, September, some of our clients have been great. They've put deposits on next year. Uh, just because a lot of them are corporate events and they have their own restrictions. People can't come back to work. Company events, they've all been canceled. Traveling, it's really hard. So uh, it's not just us putting a restriction on it. It's everything else that's going on in the world is putting those things on hold. If we can get to a point where we can do at least the golf, we still have to be able to prove that we can keep people uh, distance and safe. This is an opportunity for all businesses, all industries Mm -hmm. to pivot to find out new ways to be efficient and serve their clientele and 
to find out how they're going to be able to survive in whatever the new world looks like. For the golf industry and for a club like yours, what does that pivot opportunity look like? It's interesting because it's still a level of hospitality and service we have to provide. And we're going to do that at this kind of golf course. Uh, We even have somebody who's a washroom attendant at the halfway house. So that's... regardless of what restrictions are we still have a responsibility to provide a certain service at a certain level as restrictions ease up we're going to bring more people in i think what it has done is it's taught our salary staff that they have to be able to do more they have to be more well-rounded they have to jump in plug holes do whatever they can you can't just have the same template i'm going to bring in four staff to do this four staff to do that now it's even just from a safety standpoint two people can do what four people could do or have to do it when all these restrictions are gone i think we're going to learn a little bit more about how we can basically do more it's interesting how golf has come through a pandemic you never everybody ever thinks a pandemic is going to happen but i also would have never thought golf was going to be the one thing that comes in phase one and becomes the only game in town but it's our responsibility because it is the only game in town we got to make sure that uh people are enjoying themselves so pressure's on that way i think we'll be able to do a little bit with be a little bit more efficient but it's still a service people want to be catered to and enjoy look at this pause in two ways in terms of golf and its players one is well some guys will say and girls will say well let's get around on wednesday or thursday what's the difference my wednesday and thursday feels like my saturday and sunday so you maybe have some opportunity to fill the normal week in a way but on the flip side, there are many people who financially are in tough scenarios sure. and will be moving forward and have maybe less disposable income to be a member or to pay for green fees. Do you see a potential challenge in existing the way you previously have moving forward? Or is there maybe new uh, revenue to recoup? I think some things have balanced each other out. I agree with you. There's going to be some people that are really hurting aren't going to be able to afford this. But I also, literally being the only game in town and people's need to get out and having so many restrictions on them, we've seen an increase in public golf. Again, this is public golf. So we were getting so many new people coming in. We have something called a flex account. Uh, which is a membership, Flex membership. We've had 35 people sign up, new people sign up in the last two days. It's, I think you, in this area alone, and you're looking at people not paying for rep hockey, people not being able to do those things that a lot of money being spent at this time for five, six months down the road. I've got kids that play hockey too, but people aren't hosting parties. People aren't doing the barbecues, what they're doing if they want to get out golf seems to be it it's a real opportunity for for golf to get new players in and now that there's no corporate events are on hold for an indefinite period of time there's a lot of opportunity to play because a place like this that's very corporately driven in june and september used to be very hard pressed to get a tea time now we have lots of availability as our tea time interval gets smaller so the opportunity for golf is out there Will it balance out at the end of the year between the number of public that take over from what we lost in in corporate? It's yet to be seen. I don't think it's going to quite get there, but uh, we can run a lot more efficiently just running public um, tea time golf. 
You're a big basketball fan. Yes, sir. Kyle Lowry is a big fan of your course, um, as our professional athletes in this area sure. have more idle time. Do you expect to see more pros in other sports taking up and playing golf? I listen to uh, I listen to your station. I listen to you. I listen to Richard Deitch. Uh, I try to listen to as much of it as I can. Even Hockey Central, they're always talking to the players and what's it like in your life uh, right now. And to a man, they're all playing golf. Hockey players play golf when they're out of the playoffs anyway. Now we're seeing basketball guys play more golf. Um, Seems to be a bit more rivalry. You hear um, Kyle talking about Steph Curry playing. and Again, it's an opportunity on that side. Again, there's... If it's the only game in town, these guys are going to be playing. They're competitive guys. And we've seen the last dance and how even Jordan's betting on the golf course all the time. Bet 20 bucks and make it competitive for these guys. Everybody's looking for to keep that edge, I bet. And you can do it on the golf course. I know you're not a not really a golfer, but if you've got any more spare time, you might want to come and book a tea time. <laughs> uh, I, I, your maintenance crews do, yeah. do not want that. Yeah, let, me, let me tell you, uh, I, I love the fashion, but the sport doesn't love me the way that I love it. You've been involved, entrenched in the sport for the better part of your life. Yeah. Is there something that you've learned about it through this period, about this club, about the Canadian golf community, about the industry of golf as a whole that you didn't know previously? I know a lot more people now. Those Zoom calls, uh, there's a bit of a brotherhood, a, a networking system on the private club side because uh, they're playing amongst their, themselves. My job has been to try and sell these golf courses, the, the four that, that I oversee, so I don't get that chance to network as much as I would have liked. Being on these Zoom calls and figuring out whatever has been a real opportunity to see the association and and the community as a bigger group and seeing how people care in different situations. Uh, Everybody's come together, and I'm sure that's in in every business in whatever way they can, but we're all kind of looking out for each other. We're all rooting for each other. It just doesn't seem like I want to do better than the other private club or or our direct competition. We want to see everybody succeed because it's been – now you can put a face and a name and you know their kids. It shrunk the community a bit for me. It allowed me to get back into golf because I was so involved on the wedding side, food and beverage side, trying to keep that going. And that being able to be a golf pro again is, if I can take any benefit out of this, it's made me realize why I got into this game. This may sound like a stupid question, yeah. but I'm a firm believer there are no stupid questions. You can't have people inside in, in the clubhouse the way you would. If I'm golfing, where do I go to relieve myself? What are the maybe things that people didn't think of that you had to think of for them to make sure the experience was pleasant? Sure. Well, we don't have signs out there that say, please use the trees, <laughs> um, but it happens and people got to do what they have to do. In the guidelines, we were allowed to open our clubhouse for washroom use. Because uh, the big thing is still keeping your hands clean and, and providing that. We're fortunate enough to have um, facilities on the outside at our halfway house that aren't far from the first tee or the tenth tee. And we have that washroom attendant. Like I mentioned, that's uh, another service. After people go, uh, they tell you how to use the halfway house. Somebody needs to use the outside, fi- our, our halfway washrooms. They'll be disinfected right away. And then to the point where we'll even disinfect the the steering wheel and your golf cart if you want that to happen as well after nine holes. So it's a 
big quiet building right now. You've kind of seen it from the outside. Uh, a pro shop's really the only life that's going on and some offices downstairs, but uh, golfers have been caught all over the place <laughs> and you got to do what you got to do in these times. No question. Well said. So the la- so what we've had to do, the pressure's been on, there's all kinds of speculation on how not touching the golf ball or the pin. So some people thought turn the cup upside down so it's bumping into it. So if you bumped it into it, it counts as a holdout. Other people put like a pool noodle in there so it would only go down a certain bit. Some people have raised the cup. A couple golfers came up with this idea of a pin caddy where it's basically a lever system. So it's almost like a small CD inside the cup insert. A threaded rod through it and then it comes up you're just using your putter to lift it and it, you lift it up and the ball rolls out onto the green and you pick up the ball that way you don't have to touch the pin so we had this guy was selling them for 30 bucks 35 dollars four golf courses i'm looking at four grand our superintendents put the same thing together for 250 dollars for all the golf courses just visit to home depot wow yeah so and people love it you are cheering for the other clubs in Canada. We're cheering for you. Continue to hit them straight. Good luck keeping the players at six feet apart and keeping the foursomes 15 minutes apart. But thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience. It's nice meeting you. I really appreciate this. Thanks. So if you want to follow up for more information on best practices across the country, go to Golf Canada's website. They have a resource page in toolkit so that you are informed well before you head to your local course on what the scenario is while playing. That takes us to our last word, and that one is a great one in itself because we want to be a service to you. And actually many members of our brethren in the sports media have started to cover COVID-19 as there is a pause on sports and hat tip to uh, Bruce Arthur who wrote a piece in the star about how Doug Ford, the premier here in Ontario may have to make a very hard decision given the pandemic and roll things back. Given the fact that testing is down in Ontario and cases are up another example of a sports journalist showing that he and in many cases, she can cover anything. Uh, Richard, what do you have for us this week? Well, Donovan, I have a, uh, a sort of a more um, sobering note, to be uh, honest. The Sunday front page of the New York Times, arguably the most uh, influential daily newspaper in the world, or the Washington Post, sort of pick your newspaper, has a front page with the headline, U.S. deaths near 100,000 an incalculable loss. And on this front page are the lists of just names of people who have passed away from COVID-19 with the subhead. They were not simply names on a list. They were us. And, you know, the print world uh, has been in decline for a decade plus now, and newspapers are really hurting. And unfortunately, I think in terms of the print side, that's only going to continue to decline. But this front page is just a reminder of just how powerful the front page of a newspaper can be. And so the Sunday, May 24th, 2020 front page of the New York Times, if you happen to be at a place that sells the New York Times, buy it or you'll find it uh, online. It's uh, it's truly a powerful front page. Yeah, it's also a reminder, even though, I mean, we're talking about golf being back and businesses coming back and different sports leagues working on plans to come back. It's a reminder that we still have to be very diligent because 
if we're not the outcome is dire for many that we love so please 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 thank you for listening to this but most importantly stay safe take care of yourself and others <laughs>